Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Well, today we're going to have an interview with Matt Grant at Sailrite. And since I'm talking to Matt, I'm not going to do an advertisement because I'm going to be learning a lot about the company and some of the projects and tools that they provide. And I think you're going to find it really interesting. But (laughs) we do have one question from a listener. And uh, I don't really have the ability to answer this question because I'm not... um, I don't know that I'm qualified, but let me read the question. I'm not even going to do the uh, music because I don't have an answer to this question. And I'm going to reach out to you, the listening audience, to try to come up with some suggestions for this listener. So let me find the email he sent me. Just a second. All right, here it is. So it's from Jonathan Wexler, and he wrote... A question you might like to address on the podcast, certainly one I would appreciate an answer to. I'm 60, and I have a dream of sailing the Med. I have relocated to Portugal and plan to base my life out of Vania de Castillo. Vania do, no, Vania, V-I-A-N-A, do Castello, C-A-S-T-E-L-O, in the north. In about one year, I'll be ready to buy a boat, most likely in the UK. I have read Blue Water versus Coastal Cruiser arrangements. I would appreciate your input. My goal is to sail from the UK, keep my boat in Viana, then cruise the coast to the Med, where I hope to cruise fairly extensively. Other than my dog, I also plan on sailing solo. I have been seriously considering a Vancouver 27, and the Saddler 34. Both can be readily purchased for 30K with careful shopping. I hope to keep all repairs and upgrades to 10K, $10,000, I guess, not pounds, okay. These boats tend to run on in the same price range. The Vancouver is smaller and should thus require less expenditure for mass rigging and moorage. The Saddler is substantially more space and more modern handling, Speed is not a big issue. Manageability, reliability, and safety are. Could you possibly discuss the vessels in light of their various positives and negatives as examples of a solo med cruiser and then state why they are or not better for that purpose than a coastal cruiser? Thank you for considering my request, Jonathan Wexler. Jonathan, I'm not familiar with either one of those boats. I'm going to have to do some research on them. But while I'm doing my own research on them, I'm going to reach out to our listeners and try to get some uh, either discussion, one-on-one discussion with people, or write me an email if you have opinions. This is a topic I really don't feel qualified to answer. I know I've been a one-boat person my entire life, and I've been happy with my boat, but it's not a cheap boat. It's one of the most expensive boats you can buy per foot. So, uh, Jonathan, let's see what we hear from listeners. Okay, let's get on to my interview with Matt Grant at Sailrite. 
I'm on Skype with Matt Grant of Sailrite. Matt, you're the uh, the head honcho at Sailrite. You are a sponsor of this podcast, and you have been. I think this will be going on the third year. You're the first sponsor I've had, and so far the only sponsor. I haven't really looked around for anybody else. I like your company. I like your products, and I and I wouldn't have you as a sponsor if I didn't. So I'm a proud owner of a Sailrite sewing machine, and you know, I, I'm a do-it-yourself guy, and I like a heavy-duty industrial sewing machine that'll get through canvas or leather or whatever I throw at it, and your machine does exactly that. But Matt, I'm going to go back, and I'm going to ask you to tell us a little bit about the history of your company. We've we talked about this in past episodes, but it's been several years since we talked, so I just want to cover the same material over again because some of our listeners may not have heard that podcast. And so I want you to tell me about your company. I know you're in Indiana near Fort Wayne, as I recall. Yep. And I tried to get out to see you about a year ago. In, my mother was uh, in a rehab center, and I had to go back to South Bend, Indiana f- to see her. And I was hoping I'd be able to take the time to come out and see you, but I just didn't have the time. So I haven't had a chance to visit your your facilities yet, but at some point in time in the future, I hope to. So, we would we would certainly love to have you here, Franz. And I also want to say that we're honored to, uh, to sponsor uh, your podcast, uh, and thank you for giving us the opportunity to do that. Um, yeah, doesn't seem like it's been three years since we talked. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> time time flies, especially when you're getting older, and uh, uh, in that time. Uh, there are a lot of new faces that uh, work here at Sailrite, including, uh, uh, I think when I talked to you, I know for a fact when I talked to you last, my oldest uh, uh, son had started working for us. And since then, um, my nephew is here and my youngest son is here. So uh, uh, when you come to Sailrite vi- to visit, with which that invitation is still open to you, uh, you would meet an awful lot of grants here at Sailrite. <laughs> That's great. That's great. And that's, I, I like the fact that it's a family business. I think it's wonderful. Tell us how it started out. I know it wasn't you that started. It was your father, wasn't it? Yep. My father and my mother. And, um, uh, you, you know, uh, uh, maybe I'll take the, the conversation a little bit different direction with how it started and, and where we are right now and what it means to be a, a third generation company. Um, but uh, they started the company back in uh, uh, 1968, 69, somewhere in that time frame. So uh, we're nearing our 50-year anniversary now. And uh, it's hard, hard for me to imagine that we've been around that long and all the things that we've done in those years and all of the things that we haven't yet done that we've had on our master list to do forever. Uh, things just take time. But uh, uh my father and mother were both uh, uh, avid sailors, and uh, when they were in graduate school, they uh, uh, sailed as a hobby, and uh, Jim uh, has always been uh, a competitive sailor at heart. I won't say that he's he's a top-level competitive sailor, and he wouldn't either, but he loves it, and, and uh, uh, our business has been about passion in a number of areas, and sailing is certainly one of them, but... Uh, uh, at one point, uh, he had uh, uh, made it to the Nationals, or he was going to compete in the Nationals for the Cal 20 uh, event, 
and California and uh, uh, couldn't uh, uh, purchase new sales um, from a sale maker uh, and get them in time for the event. So he basically requested that he be able to buy the fabric and he said he would make his own sales. And uh, uh, he did very well uh, in the event uh, for, for a number of, uh, uh, he would say a lot of it was luck in the way that he built the sales. He built a very powerful set of sales uh, and it happened to be light air when everybody was expecting heavy air. And so he powered through the fleet with those very full sales. And when he was done, of course, after he placed, I believe it was second in nationals, um, he uh, had a number of people asking him how he did it. How did he build the sales? Why did he do it? And uh, he wrote a series of uh, uh, books on sale making called the Sailmaker Series, which we still sell today. And uh, that set of books was really the start of the company and we went from helping people make sales to helping people do canvas work for their boats uh, and uh, more recently to helping people build uh, canvas for all sorts of outdoor living spaces and for home decor and upholstery and uh, uh, you name it if it has anything to do with sewing and sewing machines uh, we have a tendency to try and get involved in those markets. Well, that's great. You also have a lot of upholstery fabrics as well. Mm -hmm. And let first of all, I want to talk about your your uh, straight your your machines, your sewing machines. So we describe what your your flagship product for your company is is your sewing machines. It it definitely is. Um, uh, it's actually not the biggest part of what we sell. Most most of what we sell is fabric and and notions and and. Uh, uh, canvas tools, but uh, the sewing machines are a big, big part of what we do, and and uh, it's often what what uh, we sell in order to get somebody involved in this hobby. Uh, and once we sell a sewing machine, we hope that those people follow us through video and everything else in order to uh, uh, enjoy using the machine. But uh, uh, yeah, our UltraFeed line of sewing machines. Uh, especially the blue one, which is the LSZ, we call it. That's our zigzag and straight stitch model. is a really heavy-duty, uh, portable sewing machine, and uh, uh, we've been selling that model of machine uh, to boaters and uh, uh, crafters that need a heavy-duty sewing machine for, for a long time now. And uh, uh, even though we've sold it for such a long period of time, somehow we managed to continue to figure out how to improve that machine year after year. And uh, I, I credit that to the, the many wonderful employees that we have here at Sailrite who really care about what we're doing. And uh, when they get an they get a uh, comment from a customer or they just look at something and think about how it can be made better. We've tried to foster an environment of constant improvement. And uh, uh, I think we've, we've definitely achieved that. All right. What have you done new to it this year since I got my machine? Oh boy. Uh, so we, we go by version numbers and I'm not sure what version number you have, but have a, we're, it's a couple years old is what it is. Okay. So. so you still probably have what we call a V3, but we're getting close to uh, moving uh, version numbers again. Um, we don't, what we do there is we don't like to just sort of throw all of the improvements into the machine and then say, okay, now it's a version four, for instance, and you get all the new stuff. We slowly integrate the changes uh, before we, we say, okay, we've done enough to it to consider it to be a new version. So uh, a lot of the things that we're doing right now are very simple things. I know the latest one that I've seen is that uh, 
uh, the, the needle plate has been redesigned so that there's not an, a, uh, uh, a large bump at the front of the needle plate uh, that can sometimes hang up your fabric. So we've, we've uh, retooled that plate in order to make a cleaner transition from the bed of the machine to the top of the needle plate. Um, that's a pretty simple change, but it was, a, it was a good one. Probably one of the biggest changes that we've made that occurred in the last Oh, maybe two months is we uh, uh, we have put a uh, a brand new um, uh, uh, oscillating uh, um, hook. I, I'm sorry, I just want to say oscillating hook. We put a brand new driver mechanism in the machine, and we put a brand new basket um, for where the, uh, the the hook and the bobbin case uh, connect to the machine. So uh, the basket in particular was a big one because we had to redo the molds for that in order to create a cleaner design that's more consistent than what we had in the past. But when you're dealing with this type of equipment where there are a lot of parts that are molded and then machined, a lot of improvement comes from just updating the molds and uh, uh, cleaning them up uh, uh, as the years go by. And, and when we clean them up, we often fix tolerance issues and make improvements to the design in order to make the whole thing more robust. So the net effect of that is no customer would ever notice it, uh, but it will result in, in uh, a little bit better stitch tension because we've got a smoother travel of the thread on the underside of the machine. It will result in a little bit quieter uh, mechanism and uh, especially with the improved driver mechanism, uh, uh, certainly a more robust assembly entirely uh, if you have a, a, a really bad needle collision in the lower mechanism of the machine. But uh, it, 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 it's unfortunate that we can't really discuss those sort of what we consider to be major changes. We still <laughs> consider them to be merit of changing to a different version number, but uh, it's hard to explain those sort of things to customers. So we have a tendency when we come out with a version to say, oh yeah, it's got a, you know, we, we changed the, the colors of these things and we <laughs> added this component or that component. But the stuff that really excites us here is when we make those sort of really hardcore internal changes to things that just freshen the entire design and make it work better. Um, and uh, th that's just a couple of them off the top. But uh, if you look at the machine overall, you would find that it's exactly, uh, it looks exactly the same. The, uh, um, uh, and the nice thing about any of these parts that we change, whenever we, I I'm always amazed how many people sell products and then don't really provide uh, support from the standpoint of uh, carrying the parts to support the product long-term. And so if we make a change to something like this basket or this driver, uh, the first thing we do is, of course, we build an enormous parts inventory of those items as well, so that uh, uh, if we have past owners uh, who, who need that replacement part, uh, we, we discard our um, original parts, assuming they're fully compatible, and we put all new parts on the shelf that, uh, so that any customer that would purchase that replacement part would get the benefit of those changes too. So, uh, we, and, and this is all about understanding that we not only uh, sell the machines, but we support them. And we learned a long time ago that uh, when you make an improvement to something, don't keep sending the old stuff out the door. You want to send the new stuff so that your support time goes down. Uh, and uh, uh, I think that's been a really good move for us. So this is retrofitable to the old machines then? Is yeah, right? yeah, okay. yeah. Now, now some of the components you would have to retime uh, the, the, uh, the hook 
mechanism for the machine. But I mean, these are all mechanical. Uh, anybody, and, and we do have some people that say, you know, hey, I've got a machine, it's 10 years old, I'd like to have all the new parts put on it, can I send it to you and can you do that? And we do that as well. Uh, but uh, yeah, we, we, we very rarely make a change that is something that can't be retrofitted to a past machine. All right. So I got to. I went onto your website before I before I called you, and I see you have a new section here, which is meet our customers. Oh yeah. And I was looking at that, and I thought, well, that's pretty good. Let's talk about that for a little while. Yeah. So these are these are uh, success stories of your customers or people that have written in and told you about what they're doing with the machine. So do you want to talk about a few of those? Yeah. Um, and it, you know, the, uh, uh, we've, we've, we've had a lot of that over the years, and we never know where to put it. Uh, so, uh, uh, and we started getting more and more of it. So at one point, uh, uh, Amanda, our, our uh, marketing manager, uh, came to us and she said, uh, uh, we've got to do something in the way of uh, getting the word out about some of these customers that are doing unique things. And um, uh, we, we had done some blogs in the past and sort of positioned them under our how-to portion of the website, but it really didn't make any sense there. Uh, so... Uh, this pretty much started with, um, uh, I can't remember his name, but there's a gen there's a blog out or a blog out there on a gentleman who, uh, uh, um, was very adamant that we needed to help customers better understand how to put jack lines on their boat. Oh yeah. That's and, an article on here. I was seeing that. Yeah. 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 And, uh, uh, that gentleman, I want to say captain bill, but I'm, I'm not looking at it right okay, now, but yeah, I'm looking it, at it right now. It says, Captain Donald Quackenbush. Donald, that's it. Yes, Donald. And if he hears this, he's going to call me and give me a hard time. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but the, uh, uh, yeah, I, so I, I, I had talked to him or he sent me an email and he explained what he felt made sense and what sailors needed to know. And uh, in the process of reading and, and talking to him about what he was doing, I realized, you know, part of what makes Sailrite unique is not just that we come up with ideas and we put instructions and videos together, but we have customers who are just extremely creative and very passionate about, passionate about what they're doing. And we wanted to create a, a, a spot on the website where we could take some of that content that we get and we could uh, publish it for them and give them credit for what they're doing and uh, also show other people a little bit more about how, how other, other people use our equipment and supplies uh, to do things to promote safety and uh, uh, just the sailing lifestyle in general. So, uh, and, and that program, uh, just so you know, I mean, our marketing department is one of the busiest departments here at Sailrite. Um, I know at one point they sent out a, uh, an email uh, just soliciting uh, people to contact us with their stories. And uh, Amanda told me a few months ago that we had uh, uh, so many responses from that uh, that they had to sort of schedule everything on a calendar and they have just way too much of it that they could be doing if they had time to do it. So, so you will see more and more of those coming out. And to be honest with you, I really don't even know what they are. I haven't read any of those that came in to us. It's uh, sort of up to the marketing department to decide which ones are worthy of, uh, of being published. And uh, every time they put one out there, I'm excited to be able to read it and see what people are doing as well. Yeah, I'm looking at this page, and we have archives from, okay, here's November 2018, then you have September and August, and then we go to May 2000. I mean, you've got them back to 2013 of stories, so I'll have to take a look at some of those. Yeah, 
yeah, some of them are, are well, all of them are very interesting. But uh, uh, yeah, it's uh, uh, in, in today's world, uh, everybody is very interested in what everybody else is doing, and uh, we happen to be in a in a business where. Uh, uh, there are some really great stories out there, and you not only read them for enjoyment, but you often learn from them. And uh, uh, that's that's the important part to us, that all of these people can share uh, what they know. Yeah. So let me ask you a question on, on the capabilities of the uh, the LS... Uh, t- the L... <laughs> the yeah. LS... Z1. Z, yeah. Z, I guess. Yeah. LSZ, yeah. LSZ, <laughs> yeah. okay. I, I, you know, I, I have it, but I never look at the model number. I just use yeah. it. So <laughs> Most people just say the blue one. <laughs> the blue one. That's right. So my wife, uh, my wife had a FAF sewing machine for making, you know, clothes and stuff like that. But, but she was really not that much of a seamstress. My mother was a seamstress. She, she made all of her clothes and a lot of my father's clothes, but my wife was having troubles with this faff. So, so finally she gave it away. And then she informed me last week that, Oh, now that I'm retired, I want to take up sewing again. And she said, I, I want to buy another sewing machine. I said, listen, I've got the best sewing machine in the world. Uh, why would you want to buy another one? But let me ask you a question. Would the, the LSZ be appropriate for light fabrics? Yeah, um, uh, we get that question a lot, and of course, our primary market is for the the heavier uh, materials that are uh, uh, required for marine outdoor canvas and outdoor living. But uh, the machines are really very capable for light sewing as well. Um, the one issue that we had in the past was that uh, the feeding mechanisms are so aggressive on the machines. If you look at them, there are sharp rows of uh, of teeth on both the feed dog and the presser foot. Uh, that uh, if you feed anything that's too delicate, um, you can leave a, a, a mark on the surface of the fabric. So what we did is um, uh, we just this year uh, released what we call delicate slash leather feet and delicate slash le- uh, leather feed dogs uh, for both the red and the blue uh, sewing machine, so the LS1 and the LSZ1 machine. So if you're if you're really going to be doing light stuff and even things like a, a, a veg tan leather, and you you don't want to leave a track on the surface of the material, you can greatly uh, minimize it, if not entirely eliminate it, uh, by just switching the feed out to the to the new delicate uh, uh, assemblies. And the difference is, is instead of having those sharp rows of teeth on them, they have a very fine knurled surface. Uh, so they 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 really don't grip as well as the original parts. So they're not as appropriate for really heavy, large project sewing, but for delicate stuff, they work really well. So if 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 you have that type of an issue, just change out those parts. Um, otherwise, it's just a matter of changing the thread and the needle to the appropriate size for home sewing. And uh, uh, yeah, I home sew on my machine um, uh, frequently. Of course, I don't sew anything much lighter than sort of uh, bed sheet material, but that's what most people are working with. And uh, they work very well for that. You won't get the fancy stitching that you would get out of a a household uh, uh, standard sewing machine that you would buy today. So if you wanted something that could do, you know, some uh, 20 different odd stitches, 
that that look like a variety of different things. Uh, you won't get that from our machine, but uh, uh, you certainly get your standard zigzag and your straight stitch, which is what 90% of what you would do would be done with anyway. Well, and that's yeah. what she told me. She said, oh, I just need straight stitch and zigzag. And I thought, well, yep. geez, that's all, that's all this machine does. So that's perfect. Yep. Yep, so how yep. hard is it to change out? Now, are you talking about you would change the low the feed that's in the bottom of the machine as well as the the top dog then? Correct. And and since I'm so close to the marketing department here, I have a tendency to talk about marketing endeavors. But uh, <laughs> uh, the uh, 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 we do some pretty neat things there now, and we're expanding that as we grow. Um, uh, we use a, a special marketing email platform. So if you were to order a feed dog, for instance, or even a presser foot uh, right now for your machine, um, you will not just get the part um, in your mailbox, uh, but uh, the minute that it ships out the door, uh, our email platform will send you an individualized email on how to install that part on your machine. So. It, it, that's a very powerful tool, and we're using it for more and more things now. But our our end game with that is any part that you order for a sewing machine will be followed up with a video on how to install that part, uh, so that you can watch it before your part even shows up. Yeah, and you probably have a video to go with it too, don't you? Yeah, yeah, those would both be <laughs> videos that show you how to how to do that. But it's really just two screws and. And well, two screws for the needle plate, two screws for the feed dog. Uh, but there are there are some things. I mean, anytime you're replacing parts, there are usually some tricks that you can tell somebody. And so we try and put together less than three minute videos to show you how to do those things. And and the whole goal, of course, is is to keep somebody from having to call or having to send an email to question how something goes together and also to make it extremely successful for customers to do those things. Yeah, I actually found them. I'm looking at the website, and I see delicate feed dog for mm -hmm. leather, delicate feed dog for ultra feed LSZ1. It's thirty yep. bucks. So yep. Yeah, and you and and you should see if you look at the bottom of that, uh, you'll see that knurled uh, foot pattern uh, in the photo gallery there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But uh, uh, yeah, and we we uh, uh, that's the other thing that's really great about being uh, uh, in a company. Uh, like this. Uh, we have all kinds of talented people here that uh, are really good at product creation. So we, you know, we, we, we design this stuff and we make it. Uh, so uh, uh, those are, if it works, it's, it's on us. If it doesn't work, it's on us. And if it doesn't work, it work we figure out how to make it work. So it's, uh, uh, we have a lot of fun with uh, uh, new product design here. Okay. So I have a, an issue that I want to talk to you about. And uh, this last, was it this last year, year before last, okay, this la not this last summer, but the summer before that, I had new sales made for my, uh, well, my original sales were almost 25 years old, and I thought, well, it's time to get a new main sale, and it's time to, uh, to, to get a new lapper, mm -hmm. and what I wanted to do, because on my previous lapper, one of the big problems I had, I shouldn't say big problem, but a problem that I had was Eventually, the thread wore out on the uh, on the on the cover as you roll it up. This the uh, sunbrella cover, and and I had to have that, that restitched. So after having talked to you, I said, okay, well, I'm just going to go and have them put Tenera thread on the sail cover. And so I <laughs> went through the problems of buying the Tenera thread from you, bought a couple cones from you, and took it over to Turkey and took it down to the sail maker and then disappeared because I went sailing in Sweden that year and didn't go 
in Turkey. And then the next year I come back and, uh, and I said, okay, good. You used that Tenera thread. And they said, oh, no, we couldn't get it to feed right. We could not get it to feed right. So we went with regular thread, which means all that work that I put into it was just, just waste because these sail makers just seem to have a problem with that. Is there a trick? Tell us the tricks of using the Tenera thread because now I've got these two rolls of Tenera thread that I want to go ahead and use for other projects. And so tell us the tricks on using that. Okay. Uh, yeah, The uh, so, so that's a... Uh, PTFE, uh, so basically think of Teflon uh, fiber. Uh, the problem with anything that is made out of a slippery material is that uh, that's sort of counterproductive uh, to the way a sewing machine works. Uh, when a sewing machine carries the thread down with the needle, uh, the, the way a machine functions is that when the thread or when the needle is withdrawn from the fabric, in other words, on its upstroke, uh, the, the thread is supposed to be trapped or, or uh, uh, pinched between the fabric and the needle on one side of the needle. That would be the side without the needle groove. And then on the side with the groove, I'm sorry, yeah, the side with the groove, the thread is supposed to slip between the needle and the fabric. So if the thread slips on the side that is opposite the hook and it's pinched on the side that is where the hook is, what will happen is a loop will be created for the hook to catch and create the stitch. Um, the problem is, is that if the thread is so slippery that it can't get pinched appropriately between the fabric and the needle, uh, you'll end up with too small of a loop for the hook to catch every now and then, and then you get skip stitches. So uh, the, there are a number of tricks that you can employ in order to solve that, but they are uh, sometimes uh, effective and sometimes not. Uh, so one thing you can do is reduce the size of the needle, which of course would help to increase the friction between the needle and the thread because the hole is uh, uh, much smaller than it would be otherwise. Uh, the other thing you can do sometimes is move the thread further away from the sewing machine so that you reduce the amount of twisting uh, in the thread before it comes to the needle. Um, and, and there are a whole host of other tricks. The fact of the matter is, though, and you're not going to like to hear this, Franz, is that uh, uh, there, is a, there is a better thread that you can use today to work on an oscillating hook machine uh, that does not exhibit nearly as many problems when it comes to uh, uh, catching uh, that loop. Uh, or creating that loop, as the case would be, and that is called profilin thread. So okay, it's still I saw, I saw that on your website, and I don't right. remember seeing that right. before. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a thread that we import, and um, uh, and it's uh, uh, it is essentially the same thing. It's a PTFE thread, but they have a different process of producing it that results in a thread that uh, just seems to work better on oscillating hook machines. And I don't want to diminish. Uh, what Tenera has done because their product is an excellent product, but it, it, it tends to work better and more consistency on rotary hook or and with more consistency on rotary hook machines than it does on oscillating hook machines. So if you if you look at what we're saying on the website and have been saying for the past uh, uh, year or so now, uh, we say if you have an oscillating hook machine like the Alterfeed, get the Profilin. If you have a rotary hook machine, then either the Profilin or the Tenera will work. Um, but so many people are familiar with the Tenera brand name that a lot of people just buy the Tenera just because they, they recognize it. Um, and I don't want to tell you that the Tenera won't work on your machine. We just may have to employ some of those tricks in order to make it work. Whereas with the Profilin, you just don't really have to worry about the tricks. It just seems to work. 
Uh, but it's a shame they didn't use that on your sacrificial cover because uh, yeah. that would. <laughs> that because would, that I'm, would have... <laughs> I know I'm going to have to have it restitched in five yeah. years. Yeah. In five, well, or you could do. You, you gave me a perfect segue into something. <laughs> or you could you could just take the cover off, lighten up the sail, and put a Genoa sleeve. <laughs> okay. Up the heads day. And we just finished a brand new video on uh, on building uh, Genoa sleeves with the uh, uh, the cinch cord designed into it, uh, which uh, 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 is a, a, a very, very good concept for tightening a sleeve around a furled sail without having that sleeve flogging in the wind uh, uh, once, you, once you raise it. So, but that's the, that's the alternative to, the, uh, to putting the sacrificial cover on the sail itself. <laughs> okay. Well, tell me, okay, so on a Genoa sleeve, would it stay on the... Uh... On the force stay all the time, or would you take it on and off? No, so so with the Genoa sleeve, basically you 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 uh, so so think in terms of taking the sacrificial cover off your sail. So you just have the weight of the sailcloth itself. Mm -hmm. uh, you still have it set on your furling unit. You roll the sail, but since you have nothing protecting the leech and the foot edge of the sail, now you need to pull a sock. It's essentially just a sock with a long zipper. And you pull that sock up with a uh, with a spare halyard, and that covers the sail. And the problem with that in the past was that people would then try and take a, a a loose line from the top of the sail and just sort of snake it around the outside of it to try and keep the sock from from oscillating and flapping uh, because it can't be a super tight fit. And and that wasn't very effective because then you had chafe issues. Um, so what what uh, has been done, and I believe ATN was the one that created this. Uh, uh, um, I'm not 100% sure about that, but that's what I think. Uh, he created a, uh, uh, a way of, uh, of snaking a leech line um, uh, from side to side uh, around the zipper and, and connected to the backside of the sleeve, almost like you would lace your shoes. And then, then we developed a different way of tensioning it at it at the bottom but basically just pull on a strap and we pull on that strap think of how you tighten your shoes it just tightens that line from the the very top of the sock all the way to the bottom of the sock and and basically uh, uh, contains the sock around the furled sail and you uh, it won't flap or shake or oscillate or anything and they really work pretty darn well if you watch the video we created uh, uh, we're doing a much better job of doing videos where we actually go out to the water on a boat and, and deploy these things and show how they function. And uh, uh, Eric did a fantastic job uh, filming that and, and showing the entire process of creating a sock like that. I just typed in Genoa sleeve and I see a lot of kits yep. on it. Yep. And, and if you cl click on any of those and then and then when you get to the page and you look under the video section there, you'll see the video on it. Oh, okay. So you have the videos yeah. really in with the projects then, it sounds yeah. like. Yeah. Well, for when it's uh, that type of a project, we put the video in with it. If it's more of a uh, not related to a product, then it goes under the, the how-to uh, guides and projects tab on the website. Let's say, okay, so I, I'm, I'm, the thing I'm thinking about is when I roll up, when I furl my sail, my sheets go up about a third of the way up the force stay. So how, mm -hmm. do, how do you overcome that problem? You bring them down. You don't need the sheets to, to hold the, uh, uh, the the sail anymore when you have that sock type design. So you just bring them all the way down to the tack. Okay. Okay. So you just go up forward and move them all forward to the tack. Yep. Then. Okay. Yep. So let's talk about projects for the winter uh, and also projects for me because I'm not going to take that 
a wonderful machine on on a flight with me because I wouldn't be able to take anything else with me. <laughs> I constantly work on that problem, but I still haven't solved that one. I hate to say <laughs> it, it is a heavy machine. It is a heavy machine, and it's a durable machine. But it's never going to be living on my tiny little twenty-eight foot boat. So I need to work on projects to take to finish here and take over. And the one that I thought would be. Uh, you know, the one that I would think I'm going to start with this winter is going to be a halyard bag. But let's talk about uh, other projects that you think would be good to work on for the winter when you're away from your boat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, uh, uh, bags of any type uh, is a very, very popular uh, uh, project category for the machines. Uh, uh, so uh, uh, anything from sheet bags to halyard bags to duffel bags to uh, sail bags, I mean, those are all uh, very easy things that you can get quite creative with. Um, and uh, uh, I like to see people uh, doing those projects. But uh, uh yeah, I mean, apart from from that sort of stuff, if we're talking about for the boat, um, a lot of things, uh, either you have to pattern at the boat and bring home with you. Uh, so I don't know if you've got a binnacle on the boat. I mean, binnacle covers are easy to do if you, you, if you pattern at the boat and then just bring the pattern back with you. Um, even biminis can be done in that manner where you uh, uh, pattern it off of the framing on the boat and you, you can pretty much do the entire construction of the project off of the boat if you do if you do the patterning properly. So there, there are a number of things uh, that can be done there. Well, I'm going to have to rebuild my, my spray dodger in the next year or so. It's getting pretty frayed and I've had it fixed several times. So to do that, what would you take over uh, material, uh, the patterning material with you and set it up over there and then get everything just right and then come back and sew it? Yeah, it's nice not to be too far from the boat, but uh, uh, that, that would be the way I would do it. If you uh, uh, really, if you try and, and, and divide and conquer when it comes to the steps of the project, uh, you can pretty, I mean, a lot of what we do when we're patterning things is you use a, uh, 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 filament tape or uh, uh, packing tape, it's sometimes called, the, you know, the, the mm-hmm. clear tape that has the strands that run in it that right. make it very strong and hard to break. And you you suspend your, your frame in accordance to what looks good, um, giving you the right height and the right rake to the top, and, uh, and you tape it in place extremely well. And, uh, and then you pre-tension the frame uh, in order to to set it in a manner so that when when you put the fabric on it, that uh, it sort of springs out a little bit in order to tension the top even further. So once you pre-tension the frame and you've got it set with tape, then you come back with your clear patterning material and you uh, you basically build your pattern. Um, and and then you can take that pattern and you really can probably take it to the sewing machine and work on a good 80% of what needs to be done. Uh, before you have to take it back to the boat to do a little bit more uh, marking and and uh, fitting, uh, but uh, uh, yeah, that's a practical way to do it. The other, well, hold on, let me get rid of oh. this phone here. No, <laughs> it's one of those junk phone calls from New Bedford, uh, Massachusetts, and I know nobody there, so I'm not going to answer that call. <laughs> And get a recorded message. So. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Welcome to the modern era of cell phones. Yeah, that's right. That's right. 
So, okay, that's a that's a great idea. What about just bringing the, the existing spray dodger back and patterning it right from that? Would that be as effective? Well, if you like the way that it fits uh, currently, and uh, uh, it's in relatively good shape when it comes to you know, not having gaping holes and rips here and there that might affect the way the the, the pattern would be when you take it apart, uh, then yes, uh, that can be done. Uh, the issue is, is that most of this stuff is made out of uh, a sunbrella or some uh, similar type of woven uh, outdoor uh, canvas that when you rip the stitches, if you start to pull it apart hard, um, you can you can stretch those those uh, uh, raw edges uh, of the of the the used well used fabric, and if you're not careful about it, you can you can throw an awful lot of variability into the panel pieces for patterning purposes. Mm -hmm. If you are very careful about how you cut it apart, then yes, I've had a lot of customers that have successfully used uh, an existing project as a pattern. I would never ever use um, uh, something like a, a dodger for a pattern and count on the uh, the snap placement or the the you know lift the dots or twist lock fastener placement. Uh, I would always do the the forward edge finishing at the boat and then position the the snaps accordingly on the boat as opposed to uh, trying to do that from the original pattern uh, or the original. Uh, canvas piece, if you will. Uh, that said, if if you've got any listeners out there that are in the canvas business, you're, uh, or in the you know the, the they're marine fabricators, uh, they're probably going to cringe to hear me say that at all. Uh, most of us would much, much, much prefer that you start from fresh patterns. And mm. I and, and I don't know, I don't know why people are so afraid to to build a pattern for something. Uh, the pattern. Patterning part of it is really probably the easiest part of the project, and and it's one of these cases where if you get the pattern right, uh, the the end product is just going to be much much better. And and I've never ever talked to any fabricator. I don't care how long they've been doing this, uh, that that will honestly tell you that they didn't make a mistake or several mistakes in a project that they put together. Um, the the fact of the matter is is that just most of those things. This, the mistakes, very small mistakes, are not noticeable when you're done with something, or there are other ways to tweak them out when you're done. And uh, uh, if you if you think of it from that standpoint, uh, if there was a patterning error of some sort or a sewing error in the original piece, and you're you're trying to pattern from it, you're just going a little bit. It's like a copy of a copy of a copy, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It's probably better just to pattern it. Yeah. Or uh, do other projects that I can handle yeah. easier and maybe leave that to a professional that's yeah. over there. But, but let's say you had a, a, a Sunbrella in particular is just amazing stuff. And uh, uh, let's say you had a, a Sunbrella Dodger that uh, the window started to yellow on you or it's cracking. And, uh, and, and really, you felt you could get uh, the rest of, you could get another two or three years out of it, or maybe even more if you just had the window replaced. Yeah, take that take that home, replace the window. You don't need the boat for that. Uh, if, if you've got straps or, or repairs or, uh, you know, a binding tape that needs to be fixed, I mean, 90, probably, I, I hate to give percentages, but a good portion of what people end up doing with a sewing machine and the repairs that they need to do on a boat are often just maintenance. 
and uh, those sort of things can be easily done. The problem is, is that uh, in from a preparation standpoint, um, most of us are are too uh, rushed to put our boats away at the end of the year that we don't. Uh, uh, we don't properly mark and document things that need to be fixed before we put the boat away. Because if, if, if at the end of the season you went around and you, you, you know, you used a canvas marker or whatever, and you marked every spot that you noticed that was a problem throughout the entire season, documented in some manner, took those pieces home and just worked through your list. I mean, think of how much you could get done and repaired so that at the beginning of the season, you were just ready to go. Yeah. I put my boat up this year and I got a, um, I have a full cover that I hadn't made in Turkey for it, and it's a, it's a nice full cover. They did they did a good job of putting it together, and they were very reasonable in their prices. But they didn't use Sunbrella. They used another product that's um, more of a laminate, uh, not really a laminate, but it's almost more of a rubber-type product. That, mm-hmm. but So it's got a vinyl. A yeah, vinyl some sort of a vinyl product, yeah, which has held up very well. But the pro- And I got a call. Uh, I didn't get a call. I got an email from the marina. It's in Croatia right now, in Dubrovnik right now. And they said, uh, we regret to inform you that uh, we had a big windstorm and you tore your uh, full cover. And, Ouch. And I, uh, yeah. and I wrote them back and I said, well, did, you, did I actually tear the cover or did the zipper pull apart? And uh, they wrote me back, and yeah, the zipper pulled off, and that's a common problem. Again, it comes down to the mm-hmm. thread that they use on it. It's the mm-hmm. thread that uh, they put on there that deteriorates after a year. Because I, remember, the thread sitting out there exposed to the sun all winter, well, nine months of the year, ten months of the year. And so the thread that's used to sew the zippers on deteriorates, and then, yep, and then it the, pops it. Then it yep. pops it, yeah. So they took yeah. a picture of it, and I said, okay, well, that's not that big a deal. It's just a matter of fixing the uh, the zipper. But yeah. uh, you know, I guess I should probably take some of that other thread over with yeah. me next year when I yeah. have to have that done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that would be a good spot for it. <laughs> yeah, because that that more so than my roller furling, because the roller furling is only up for a couple of months in the summer, and then, but this is up all winter long. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's and, you know it's a um, it's always the same things. Uh, uh, the fabric is is remarkable. I mean, I, you're and you're right. There are certainly other brands besides Sunbrella. I mean, Marlin makes some wonderful fabric. Uh, uh, Stamoid uh, is great stuff. I mean, and all of this stuff, there are different reasons to use it. So a vinyl, of course, would give you uh, uh, better uh, water resistance than Sunbrella would, and probably better shape resistance. Probably not as nice of colors, but who cares for a cover like that? Mm-hmm. So um, uh, yeah, so I mean, lots of lots of great choices, and and uh, there are some really good premium products out there. But you build something, and even if it's built well. Uh, there are always a couple of points for failure, um, which is why we sell so many sewing machines. But uh, that would be your thread, your zippers, uh, you know, even your fasteners to a, to a certain extent. Um, and those things typically go before the fabric goes. But a lot of people think that it's the fabric that failed because when you have a zipper that fails like that and it starts fluttering in the uh, flogging in the wind, what happens is, is that now all of a sudden you've added more stress to where the zipper ends. And if it can't handle it at that point, and it's just allowed to keep going, it's eventually going to rip right into the fabric. So, uh, but yeah, 
but better get that taken care of sooner than later. Well, which, which you know, it's nice that I can talk to you because it's sort of like I can go down my projects and yeah. talk to you about them. <laughs> so let's talk about zippers. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over there, and I could probably use the zipper that was on there before, but I think I want to go ahead and actually replace the zippers because there's one, well, there's five, six zippers. So it's a three-part uh, three cover, and there's zippers on each side, so it comes up to the center. What what zippers would you recommend for that particular, for, for a boat cover? And tell us what different zippers you'd use for different things. Yeah, so when it comes to zippers, it, it really comes down to uh, uh, the size of the zipper tooth and the type of of zipper tooth. Um, so we, we talk in terms of coil and Vislon zippers. So chances are what you have on there is a Vislon zipper. Those would look like molded teeth. Right. That and that, that's exactly what I yeah. have. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and that's actually um, a better design for a marine zipper uh, than a coil zipper, but you will see some. So coils look like a slinky on each side of the, the zipper tape. And you'll see that on a lot of luggage today as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but you'll also see it in boating applications where you have a zipper that has to bend corners and curves. So if you had a smile or a frown on an enclosure panel, it's probably a coil zipper because they, they bend better uh, when they're late. So if you lay it flat, it'll bend a curve uh, better than a, a Vislon would. But on a cover like yours, you'd want a Vislon zipper and you'd want a larger size zipper. So uh, a number 10 is pretty much the marine standard size for uh, enclosures and canvas work. And that just means that it has bigger teeth and a bigger zipper slider. And of course, when you go to these bigger zippers, they have a bigger flange uh, for sewing it to the canvas, which is, is good as well. Um, we carry YKK brand zippers. And that's not to say there aren't others that are good zippers and great zippers, uh, but we, we've had a long-standing relationship with YKK, and of course they're known as, as being the, the Goliath in the zipper industry, so uh, we've stuck with them for years. And uh, we've got a very good relationship with them, and uh, I'm proud to say as of it's probably been as much as 10 years now, uh, all of their uh, marine uh, zippers in the number 10 size are, are UV treated, uh, which is uh, uh, a nice thing uh, because they, they do hold up very well. Uh, are they ever going to hold up as well as something like an acrylic, like the Sunbrella fabric or a, a Teflon? They won't, but uh, uh, they're about as good as I think they can get without, uh, uh, without somebody coming up with something that's just not available yet. Uh, so YKK number 10, Vislon, uh, is what you would want to use to replace that. Okay, and I'm looking at it. So that comes in rolls. I mean, you you can buy it as long or as short as you want. How long is the standard roll on that? Okay, and, until I talk start talking about zippers, I never, I, I always forget it's a complicated subject. So <laughs> you, you, okay, so, so you can, you, you okay, so what you're looking at is a continuous zipper. Mm -hmm. Okay, so anything that you buy by the foot or, or, or yard or whatever when it comes to a zipper tape uh, would be what we call continuous. And that means that you're basically just buying the chain, if you will. Mm -hmm. So there's no, no slider, there's no starting pin, there's no starting box, there are no end stops. Um, you're just buying the chain. So if you think about that, that, that product would be what you would buy if you were building a a, a tote bag, for instance, and ah, you just okay, okay, or, or 
piece of luggage. And uh, uh, because the ends are always closed, they're always sewn closed at the end, and the only thing that opens is the center. Uh, so, you, so that so doesn't, what, doesn't work for what I'm looking for. I need a specific not, length zipper then. Don't correct. I? Yeah. So what what we refer to that it, um, what we refer to that as or is a, um, a finish zipper, or some people call them jacket zippers. And a finished zipper or jacket zipper would be a, a, the same chain material, but it has a starting pin and a starting box uh, at, at one end, and then it would have zipper stops at the other end. And you buy those typically in, in, a variety, in various inch sizes. So you'd have, you know, 24 inch, 36 inch, 48 inch, and so forth. And they go very long. Uh, you don't have to buy a zipper that's an exact match to what you need. You buy a zipper that's longer than what you need, and you can cut those zippers down so long as you cut the end that closes last. So the stops can be cut off and you can apply new stops to the zipper teeth. But if you cut off the, the box and the pin end, which is how you start the zipper, you've just turned your nice finished zipper into a continuous zipper. <laughs> okay. All so. right. Yeah, now that I think about it, that makes perfect sense because that's, that's always the problem I also have is, is sometimes the, the starting teeth tend to get worn out, and then yeah. it's really hard to start the zipper. Yeah, if you lose a tooth or you lose the somebody steps on the starting box and breaks it off or the pin breaks, uh, there's really no good solution other than replacing the zipper. Um, we could purchase machinery uh, from YKK in order to mold our own stops and or I'm sorry, our own starting pin and starting boxes to zipper chain, uh, but uh, uh, it wouldn't do our customers any good because it. it you're not going to buy that machinery to do that. So we get a lot of people that ask us, can I just replace those parts? And the answer is no. And, and I can't even replace those parts here because I don't have that equipment to mold those parts on the tape either. Uh, so we rely on YKK to provide us the, the chain with or without the starting pin and stop so that we have both types, if you will, continuous or finished zippers. Okay. I don't think there's any other zipper manufacturer other than YKK. That's the only kind I ever see out there. <laughs> There are actually quite a few, and and uh, uh, and there are some that uh, uh, I highly respect that do a good job. But uh, from a consistency standpoint, and from the stand, and and from a longevity and and name, well-known name, yeah, YKK is who you think of. Yeah. All right. So talk to us about where they can where. Well, we know that it's a direct uh, a direct sale, so you don't have dealers that sell your machines. They can't go down to their west marine and buy a uh, a sailwright machine no we, we we do not and um um part of the reason for that is is that we want to we, we really don't want to have to to uh have middleman pricing on on sewing machines we we want to be able to charge a fair amount for the machine given what we have into the machines and we want to keep it obviously as as competitive as we can uh and we feel we can provide much better support if uh, if if we have a full customer record from the date of purchase. So uh, uh, that's a model that we've gone back and forth on over the years, but uh, uh, I believe we finally settled into a good approach that works well for us. And since we have a, a pretty aggressive marketing machine here, um, we really don't have to rely on on dealers to get the word out. We I think our team does a pretty good job of doing that. Where do you market? I know you market on my website, and uh, you're a sponsor of the podcast. 
and I'll see your ads in some of the sailing magazines. Where else do you do you market? Do you advertise? Oh, it's a crazy process these days. When I first started, it was magazines, catalog, and uh, uh, and newsletters, <laughs> and that's all we had to think about. <laughs> now it's magazines. So I mean, we have the back cover of uh, a few different magazines. Uh, uh, um, uh, I always say lats and ats because I, I, I'm an old dog and don't like to, but Cruising Outpost and uh, Good Old Boat Magazine. And uh, and then we advertise in several other magazines. But uh, um, uh, we do um, uh, the, the lion's share of the advertising that we do today is in Google AdWords. And uh, uh, so it, it seems to be the most direct path these days. Uh, to reach a consumer and have them come directly to your website. So, uh, and, and I don't know how, how much you know about that 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 uh, venue, but uh, uh, Google Shopping, which is where your your photos of your products come up, is probably the biggest part of that that we work with. Um, and then, of course, we still do a catalog. Which, uh, uh, if, if we ever stop doing a catalog, that'll be the day that I retire because I don't think I could ever uh, stomach that. Uh, so the the uh, uh, and we do a catalog for both the marine and the home marketplace. Uh, so that's that's an important uh, uh, part of our advertising website, of course, and then uh, and then we do a variety of uh, of uh, direct to consumer. Um, uh, marketing campaigns uh, uh, through uh, uh, email endeavors as well. Uh, we're even just started a texting campaign uh, where we're actually uh, building a, a texting mailing list, if you will, now, which uh, that's so far outside of my realm of understanding that I'm glad we've got a bunch of young, enthusiastic people here that uh, <laughs> uh, that seemed, seemed to say, oh, yeah, that makes good sense. <laughs> so, but... but uh, uh, it's gotten a lot more complicated than it used to be. Well, I I get your catalogs, and and it's just uh, I love looking at your catalogs. I love going through it and say, oh, I need this and I need that. And the reality is, I don't need a lot of it. There's a lot of wants <laughs> in that catalog. So. Yeah. yeah, there's one of my favorite ones in there now is uh, I, we're, we're we're trying to push into upholstery much much more. <laughs> Uh, because that market is just huge for people that want to reupholster things. And uh, uh, my, uh, uh, my my oldest son uh, 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 worked really hard uh, with a staple gun manufacturer to produce a pneumatic stapler that uh, uh, is really cool because it's got our logo and name embossed on it. Uh, but uh, the trick with uh, pneumatic staplers for doing upholstery work is, is that uh, it's very hard to find a stapler that will uh, uh, that at first has a crown size that's large enough, but but also that uh, will set the staple the appropriate depth into the uh, uh, the wood or the starboard or whatever you're stapling into, without uh, uh, cutting its way through the the vinyl or or uh, the, the well in most cases it's vinyl the vinyl cover material that you're using to create that seat or helm helm seat or uh, you know cushion on a powerboat or whatnot. And uh, he, he did just a fantastic job. So uh, we've got a long and a short nose uh, sail right stapler for upholstery that uh, sets staples perfectly and quickly. And uh, uh, that's a, a, a fun tool. Um, so I, I'm not sure where we started with this. Well, let me ask, well, now that we're on staple guns, I, I actually have a couple narrow crown. Well, I have a narrow crown stapler and then I have a regular staple for industrial, for, uh, for building. And, yeah. uh, and I last Last time I used it for upholstery, exactly that's exactly the problem I had. 
was I was going through the material, the narrow crown stapler I was able to adjust. Mm -hmm. But the other problem I have is they're, uh, they're, they're mild steel staples and they rust and then they yeah. look like crap. What, yep. what are your staples? Uh, they're stain we have stainless steel and then we have galvanized staples, so you can choose between the two. But for marine, of course, we want you to use the stainless staples. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, but but the, you brought up a good point. I mean, a, a, a contractor stapler is designed to to set the staple flat with the surface, and uh, uh, and that type of a stapler, the only way you can keep it from damaging your fabric is by reducing your your air um, in order to keep it from from pushing it so hard into the material. So, so the trick to an upholstery stapler is to make sure that the ram inside the stapler doesn't allow the staple head to, to penetrate that deeply, regardless of what the air, uh, air pressure is set at. Okay, so, so that I'm looking at your staple guns now. There's a long nose and a short nose. Short nose. Which do you sell the most of? We sell the most of the long nose uh, simply because it's a, a uh, uh, pro most people think it's a more versatile tool. Because uh, they can use it to get into the crevices, and they, and um, uh, and they can also use it for areas where they don't have that type of uh, restriction for getting the staple in there. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, is that uh, if you're doing a lot of this work, you'll have both. And the reason for that is, is that a, a short nose stapler is always less prone to a misfire from time to time because there's not as much travel. Uh, oh, to the ramp. Okay, okay. So, but uh, but but both of those are are phenomenal tools, and I have no problem whatsoever with somebody just getting a long nose and keeping that as the only stapler that they have. So, and that I don't want you to make I don't want to make you think misfires are a common thing. They are very uncommon, and I'm amazed how quickly you can fire a staple in a gun like that. Yeah, well, it's great. It looks like a great Christmas gift at eighty four ninety five. Yeah. yeah, that that would yeah. be a a good yeah. tool for the. Yeah. <laughs> and person in life. Yeah. And a lot of this comes from sometimes what happens here is, is that we pick something up in the way of a category or we decide we're going to push a category that all of a sudden we say, okay, now we need to make sure that we have the full complement of tools that someone would need to, to, to fully uh, expand that category, if you will. And this all started with uh, foam. And uh, uh, one of the things we did this year is. Uh, uh, we purchased a, uh, a mattress rolling machine, which is anytime somebody comes in here like you that I want to show something really cool, I take them back to the foam, foam department and show them how, uh, how we roll foam. But uh, it's a huge machine, and you, you basically put the foam on a platform, and, and it has uh, uh, arms that pick up this shrink wrap material from the underside of the machine. And... We'll push the foam into it, uh, these large conveyors start to roll. Um, uh, they have laser lights that determine when it should turn on and off. And it starts to compress and roll the foam just like it would a mattress when you get a mattress out of a box, if you will. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it wraps it with this shrink, really wide shrink wrap material, and then it goes into its cradle area where it wraps everything to the same diameter. And, and we get these... Uh, very consistent rolls of foam that come out of the machine that are highly compressed that uh, we can ship to consumers and they just grab the film and, and yank on it a few times and the foam pops open. Hmm. So, uh, but uh, we did that because we started selling so much foam into the upholstery industry that uh, the old approach where you took two shippers and, and had them wrestle a piece of foam into a, into a sausage and then put it in a bag and then use a vacuum and try and suck all the air out of it and then wrap it so it wouldn't explode. 
that was getting very old very quickly. So uh, we started researching mattress rolling machines and uh, purchased one of these things. And after we did that, we found we could not only roll a piece of foam in a matter of seconds, uh, but uh, uh, they're a lot less expensive to ship and they get to the consumers in excellent condition. And when they pop it open, it, uh, it's a nice, perfect sheet of foam. And, and, uh, uh, and so we could expand our entire foam offering as well for both the marine and for the, uh, the house homeowner market. And uh, once we did that with the foam, then, it's, then we started saying, okay, now we gotta have staple guns. Okay, we've gotta have our own foam saw, which we call the blade foam saw. We got to carry all the staples, and you know, and that all leads to okay. Now we got to expand our, our our collection of home decor fabric. So, I mean, it it's uh, it's been fun. But if you if you do come and visit us now, <laughs> compared to back way when, um, you'd see that we have literally uh, thousands of square feet of foam stacked high on the floors, and and uh, and racking systems where we store the foam after it's rolled before it goes out the door and uh, uh, it, it, it's fun. I, I've really enjoyed watching that that uh, division grow here. Uh, and, and, and that led to another thing that we're doing that I'm very proud of at Sailrite and that is uh, uh, we, we've started our own what we call Sunbrella Sailrite collection. So we've curated uh, 67 patterns and colors of our own line uh, that uh, we're just slowly starting to introduce now. But as 2019 rolls around, uh, you'll start to see us pushing all 67 of those patterns pretty hard. And we're hoping we picked uh, patterns and colors that will really work well on people's boats and in their homes. Uh, the couple other things I want to uh, cover before we, uh, we call it an interview. Mm -hmm. I want to I talk about snaps. You know, back in the day, you would only be able to put snaps in with screws or uh, bolts or, but now you have these dot snaps that will go on fiberglass. How successful have they been? Have you had any, any failures in those? Because I've watched some of those videos that you've done on those and I thought, wow, that looks like a lot easier way of putting on uh, snaps than the old way where I had to drill a hole and into my fiberglass, which I hated to do and then screw in the snap part, you know, the, the male mm -hmm. part of the snap. And, mm -hmm. uh, but now I see these, these adhesive snaps that you've got, which look pretty enticing to use. They are there. I have a love hate relationship with anything adhesive. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the, That's exactly and, my thoughts too. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and the, uh, the answer is, is that adhesives are great if you follow the process properly and you do it well and you and you don't go beyond uh, the sheer strength uh, specifications for the, the product. So uh, so snads are awesome uh, if you use them for the right thing. So uh, on on my my boat, I created uh, uh, sunscreens and and use snads and I secured the snads to glass and also to fiberglass. And uh, and did it properly. So um, uh, you know, with glass, you have to use a saline product in order to uh, make it uh, um, uh, adhesive. It, yeah. Well, yeah. you have to keep glass loves water, uh, so you have to make it hy hydrophobic, hydrophilic. Uh, I don't know. Okay. Uh -huh. um, 
And uh, uh, for fiberglass, you want to use some type of a promoter to, to increase the bond of the VHB, which is, you know, 3M's very high bond adhesive, which is what's on the bottom of those snads. Uh, if you do that properly and you let them dwell long enough, for that type of an application, they'll last forever and they work really well. And I didn't drill one stinking hole on my boat, and I was very happy about that. If you were talking about something where it's a, a cover that's under tension, that is that can have uh, additional tension applied, whether it's uh, rain, water on the cover, or pressure from something else um, that's constantly pulling on the snaps. Uh, then those are the situations where I would not use snaps. So uh, uh, they're great for things like hanging sheet bags, for putting window covers and shades on, for uh, um, uh, you know, smaller type projects where you need a snap somewhere. But if we're talking full boat covers and, and that sort of thing, I would not recommend them. What about for a sheet bag? Would you want to use snads for a sheet bag? Because oh, yeah, there's absolutely. a lot of, you know, there's can get there's, a lot of weight on those. They, they can, but it's not near the amount of weight that you get on a full-size cover when it's stretched from, from gunnel to gunnel. So uh, uh, sheet bags... Uh, I have no problem with snads. They work great for that. Uh, of course, the other way to think about this is these things stick better to smooth surfaces than they do anything else. So if it's a, you know, if we're talking a smooth gel coat or, or painted fiberglass of some sort, then no problem at all. It's going to work great for a sheet bag. But it's not going to work on wood. Wood would not be a good place to put it then. It depends. Uh, highly varnished wood, yes, it will work well on that. Uh, if we're talking something that is just, uh, you know, a, a, a non-treated teak, uh, forget it. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Then the last thing I want to cover is wh what trade shows do you go to where people can meet you face-to-face? -face? Yeah, yeah. So uh, uh, not too many, um, <laughs> unfortunately. I enjoy going to trade shows, but they are very difficult on us uh, because we are so busy back here in Indiana. Um, but we do the Annapolis um, uh, uh, show in October, and uh, uh, there are two. There's another one that comes up, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the spring show, um, which is a much smaller show in Annapolis. And uh, uh, they, they somehow talked us into doing that show this year, so we will be there as well. Um, and, uh, and the, how they talked us into it is Cruisers University called us and wanted to discuss getting some sewing machines for a canvas, uh, uh, sort of, they're calling it sort of canvas 101 class, if you will. And they had a, a, a canvas instructor that was willing to give the cat class and, and we listened to everything they had to say. And we're like, uh, you know, we should really be doing that class for you. <laughs> and they said, well, funny, you should say that. <laughs> so, so uh, uh, it's only a one-day class that we're doing through them, and anybody that would be interested in, in that would have to contact Cruisers University. But uh, uh, we will be uh, uh, actually having sewing machines there with a, a number of uh, instructors, and uh, uh, we'll be uh, uh, running through a simple project. I'm not 100% sure what that project's going to be, but uh, uh, we, will, we plan on finishing that project during the the class and uh, being there to answer any other questions. So, so the, those two Annapolis shows uh, uh, with that class prior to the the smaller show, and then uh, uh, apart from that, uh, uh, we don't really go to uh, any other boat shows at this point. Um, I wish we we would uh, get time to do that. I'd love to go back out to California again, but uh, uh, we really concentrate mostly on our video channel at this point. 
which is great. I was going to ask you, do you have a video showing that foam roller? I think we do, but I, it might have been on uh, it might have been on social only. I know when they first got it in, they did some videos on that, but uh, I may have to send you an email on where that is. Yeah, I want to look at that because I like looking yeah. at stuff like that. So yeah, I'll send you an email. I'm okay. sure I can find that. Thanks, Matt. <laughs> All right, anything else you think we ought to cover before we call it an interview? No, I think, uh, boy, we, I'm sure we, we, we talked a long time. I think we did that last time too, but, uh, uh, I, I, I think, uh, I think we've been very lucky, both of us to be in, a, uh, uh, have, a hobbies and careers like we have and where we can in, enjoy, uh, this, this boating lifestyle. I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm very humbled, uh, by our, our customer base and, uh, uh, the people that uh, I have met over the years that have taught me so many things and helped me to build this business with my wife and my family. And uh, uh, we're just really appreciative of anybody that's ever had contact with us and done done business with Sailrite. I really appreciate you guys. And, and thanks for putting out a great product and having a good company like that. I Like I said, I, you would not be on my website. You would not be a sponsor unless I really liked your company. And I remember... Uh, I think I bought some of those build your own sales back in the day when I actually considered building my sales, but I yeah. never took on that project. But <laughs> I, I, I always wonder uh, how many people would fly to Fort Wayne, Indiana, if we ever did just uh, come to sail right and we're going to build a sale <laughs> for, for, for any given boat, just one sale. We're just going to build it all together so you can see how the process is. I, I bet we could we could bring quite a few people. Here you know, I that. bet you could. And that might be a good way of meeting some of your customers and selling a lot of machines, too. So. It, might, it might well be. But uh, if only there was more time, more time. If you ever certainly... decide to do that, let me know. That'll be an excuse for me to come back out there so <laughs> well i'm hoping you don't wait for that to come visit oh no i'll be out there around. before then but <laughs> right. thanks a lot matt thanks franz Keep in we'll touch. talk to you later okay bye-bye bye-bye great thank you for listening consider becoming a patreon i'd really appreciate it you can become a supporter of this podcast by going to patreon.com backslash medsailor or just go to medsailor.com and click on the link that will take you to Patreon. I would really appreciate some new Patreons. Thanks for listening. Get out there and go sailing. Life is short. In the end, all that really matters is the memories you make. So make a few. Go sailing.